More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary, episode number 38 to be exact. I'm so glad that you're here today spending a little time with me, Kelly, your host for Survivor Sanctuary. Well, the first thing that I want to do on this episode is welcome our newest members of the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. We had 17 people join here in the last couple of days. Rick D., Husson M., Cheryl C., Michelle B., Misty Dawn M., Karen M., we had Vanessa H., Susan H., Janice C., Cindy H., Sylvia C., Kathy V., Gina C., Lisa J., Deborah B., Sukdai M., and Carrie Ann M. as well. So that's 17 new people to the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And I want to welcome all of you and thank you so much. And also apologize if I butchered anybody's name because, you know, it happens. It happens sometimes. But we're glad to have you as part of the group. And hey, if you have not yet joined the Survivor Sanctuary private Facebook group, I want to encourage you to send a request. You can look us up on Facebook, Survivor Sanctuary. You have to send a request to join because it's a private group. That's one of the ways that we keep things safe and where we keep people safe to share some personal things and stuff that may Maybe you don't want everybody in the public domain to uh, read about, but we have some great discussions there on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group, and we would love to add you as well. So just search us on Facebook and I will add you in. I also want to tell you about a way that you can support Survivor Sanctuary. So we're on episode 38, as I mentioned, and this has totally been a labor of love for me. It's something that I've wanted to do for years just to be able to speak out about sexual abuse. But if you feel led or you just want to be a supporter to keep bringing great Survivor Sanctuary content, you can actually support this podcast as well. Go to anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary, and I will link to it in the show notes as well. And you can support the podcast monthly. You can start at like 99 cents and show your support that way, or just support us by joining the Facebook group. We just love to have our listeners to the podcast interacting, and uh, I love to hear from you guys. It's awesome. Well, one of the things that I'm sure you know, especially if you're a survivor of sexual abuse, is that we cover a lot of topics on this podcast and we deal with a lot of topics in life in general that are not pretty. We talk a lot about pain. We talk a lot about hurt. We talk a lot about the deep trauma that survivors of sexual abuse can experience and the fact that for many survivors of sexual abuse, there are struggles that we are going to deal with in a lifelong way. And I hate to call sexual abuse a life sentence. I won't say that I've never used that term because I actually have in my moments of frustration and in talking to some survivors, I have said sexual abuse is a life sentence because honestly, there are so many people who despite 
all the healing that they go through are still going to experience some of the effects of sexual abuse for the remainder of their lives. And I don't say that to be negative. I don't say that so that you can be discouraged and just think, all right, well, I was sexually abused. It's a life sentence. There's nothing I can do. That's not at all where I'm coming from with that. And I try not to use those exact words like sexual abuse is a life sentence because it is, it is kind of negative and it does sort of just take your mind to a dark place. Like there's nothing I can do to heal. There's nothing I can do to better myself. And that's not the point of it. But I do like to be real when I'm talking about sexual abuse. It's something on this podcast that's really important to me because I feel like, especially in Christian circles, and we talk a lot about that here on Survivor Sanctuary, it's all about sexual abuse and the church. Well, in the church, we have a tendency to want to really sugarcoat things and make them super pretty and dress them up. I don't know if it's because we feel like Jesus needs everything to be dressed up and pretty in order to be happy with it, but I think it's more that we kind of need that for ourselves. And I don't ever want to do that with this podcast. So I like to just be blunt and real. There are some struggles that some people are going to have after being sexually abused as children that might stay with them for the remainder of their lives. But what I don't want is for people to feel super discouraged by that and think, all right, well, there's just no point because there definitely is a point to healing from sexual abuse. And because we tackle the negative aspects so often of sexual abuse, because there are many, I wanted to talk about some of the really positive aspects of healing from sexual abuse. Now, for some people, and I've really encountered many people like this in my life, so I'm not just saying this like, oh, because once I heard somebody say that they didn't want to bother healing from sexual abuse, but it's something that we run into a lot when dealing with other survivors of abuse. There are many people who prefer to live life in denial, like, okay, something bad happened to me, but it didn't affect me and I'm fine. And we kind of live in that state of, yeah, something may have happened to me, but I don't see the point in diving into it because because I'm just going to choose not to let it affect me. I'm just moving forward in my life. There's no point in looking back. There's no point in going to therapy and talking about it. There's no point in dredging up the past. You run into that quite a bit. And that might sound surprising. Like, okay, if you have been sexually abused as a child, why would anyone think that you wouldn't want to dive in and tackle the healing process? Like, why would anybody want to not heal from that? And the bottom line for a lot of people, I think, is that... The fear of how much it's going to hurt or how uncomfortable it's going to be to delve into the past is scarier than the prospect of staying unhealed for the remainder of your life. So it's kind of easier to downplay it. It's kind of easier to be in denial about it a little bit and say that it didn't really affect you rather than to admit, okay, this is a thing that affected me and there is a process of healing that I probably need to start diving into at some point. But there are some really awesome reasons why I believe, and so many others believe because they've experienced it, that diving into that healing process is a fantastic idea. And I wanted to go over some of those today. I could come up with a list of dozens and dozens of things that are going to be the positive benefits of healing from sexual abuse, but I've narrowed down my list to 10 reasons to heal from sexual abuse. And I am positive that because we have so many people with different experiences and so many people from so many different walks of life and from so many different parts of the world who listen to the Survivor Sanctuary podcast, and that's actually one of my favorite things, side note here, I like to look at the statistics of people who are listening to Survivor Sanctuary and see 
all the countries all over the world where people are downloading episodes of Survivor Sanctuary. So we know that sexual abuse is an experience that's shared by so many people worldwide. It, it does not respect your gender. It doesn't respect your race. It doesn't respect your nationality or your culture. It respects nothing. There are people who have been sexually abused from every walk of life, from every socioeconomic background, from every culture, every tongue and tribe and nation. It's one of those things that is unfortunately, and it's very unfortunate that it's experienced universally. So having said that, I am positive that as we go through my list that I compiled of 10 reasons to heal from sexual abuse, you're probably going to have some reasons of your own that may pop into your head and that I don't include on my list of the 10 reasons to heal from sexual abuse. And I would love for you to post them in the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And I will actually post a prompt after this episode airs so that you can do that and you can add in other reasons why you feel like it is awesome to go ahead and dive into that healing process. And again, it might seem like this no-brainer, like who on earth would choose not to heal when healing is an option? But I'm gonna tell you that it's something that I run into, other survivors run into, that counselors and therapists run into. It is people being so afraid of facing what's happened so that they can heal. It's not that people don't want to heal. It's the people are usually nervous about the process of healing because it's uncomfortable. And I remember talking to a person who was reaching out to me because I had been outspoken about sexual abuse and she was telling me her experience that she had been sexually abused as a child and she's like, you know what, my marriage is on the rocks, my husband has asked for a divorce, things are a disaster and I know it's because I haven't tackled this, but she's like, I just don't wanna go to therapy because I don't want them to make me talk about what happened. She's like, that's my biggest fear, like I know I need to heal, I know things need to change, but I'm terrified of having to tell the story of what was done to me. And so it's things like that that people tend to struggle with and have that pushback when you suggest maybe you should talk to somebody, maybe you should get some help, you know, you should turn around and face the past rather than just saying, well, the past is the past and I'm just going to leave it there. You get a lot of pushback from people, not just people who want survivors to just be fine so they don't have to be uncomfortable, but people who have survived sexual abuse and don't want to admit it or don't want to work through the process of healing because they're so afraid of what might come up. And I'm not belittling that in any way. I'm not here to say like you're wrong for feeling that way or that you're less of a human being somehow because that's a fear that you have. It's totally and completely normal to feel that way. But I want to just put it out there that there are so many amazing reasons to go ahead and dive in to the healing process, regardless of those fears in the back of your mind, regardless of that worry of what's going to come up, how am I going to feel? I don't want to talk to anybody because it's dumb and I don't want to be vulnerable. And you know, there's just a list of, I don't want X, Y, Z, like we could just go and create a big list there. But these 10 reasons are the reasons I came up with that I think it is awesome to go ahead and heal. We love the comfort of the familiar, and that's one of the things that holds a lot of us back from healing from sexual abuse. It's that the comfort of, well, my life might suck and things might be terrible, but at least I know what to expect every day. Like my relationships might suck, but at least I know exactly how every relationship is going to go because that's the way it's always gone. You know, at least I have that comfort of that familiarity, knowing exactly what to expect. If I dive into this healing process and things start changing, I suddenly don't have control over outcomes and I suddenly don't have the comfort of the familiar 
familiar and we all fight against change. So we actually will choose the comfort of the crappy familiar situation of the totally messed up way that we deal with life or live life. We will choose that over the unpredictability of what healing might be like, even though it's a positive thing to choose healing. So let's dive into these 10 reasons to heal. And I think as we tell ourselves and remind ourselves over and over again, the positive benefits of working on the healing process of working on the things that have happened to you and working through the things that have happened in your past that have affected you. As we continue to do that, remind ourselves of all the positives, we kind of change that narrative in our head. And I talk about that a lot here on the podcast, changing the narrative, because we all have that narrative in our heads constantly. And the only way to change it is to start a new narrative. So you got to tell yourself these things and tell yourself over and over again until your brain actually starts to believe them. And I promise you, as you work on that and as you repeat those things to yourself, as you talk to yourself about these reasons to heal and all the positive benefits, you are going to change that narrative in your head. It's going to happen, not accidentally, but it's just going to happen naturally. And yes, it takes work, but as long as you're telling yourself that new narrative, quoting it to yourself, even when you don't believe it, it will eventually begin to turn your mind. Now, I want to add before I get into these 10 reasons to heal that they're not in any particular order. I didn't order them in like as level of importance or anything like that. Just put 10 things down on the page that I wanted to share. And one of the reasons to heal uh, that I put down first was to heal your family. It's not something that's just for you personally, but it's something that is a side effect of healing. Which surprised me when I started to read about sexual abuse, I started to read books about healing from sexual abuse, I started to read books about um, how your family affects you growing up and how that affects you as a person who experiences sexual abuse and kind of just the way that our upbringing and different traumas can affect us emotionally and mentally and spiritually, all those things. When I started diving into those books and going to therapy sessions and reading articles and doing all that stuff, something that I noticed was that members of my family were benefiting from the things that I was learning. And I could see people around me beginning to change or even just ask me questions that, you know, I actually was able to answer for the first time in my life because I had been doing the work. And I had a therapist tell me once, she's like, yeah, you will notice that if one person in the family starts to get help and starts to go see ther- a therapist or go to a support group or, or they're doing any kind of work on themselves emotionally, mentally, spiritually, whatever it is, when one person is doing the work, it actually begins to affect the entire family. Now, I don't want you to take that to mean that every single person in your family is going to heal by osmosis, like you're going to do all the work and everybody in your family is suddenly going to be perfect. It's not necessarily like that, but you will notice that when you begin to heal, the people around you begin to heal as well. And it's a great way to start breaking cycles. If you've had cycles of trauma in your family, the way that I have in my life, in my family, um, so many traumatic experiences on both my parents' sides of the family. Just some crazy, like trauma that I can't even wrap my brain around a lot of the time. And that nobody in my family had gone to therapy to try and get help for for these deep, deep traumas. And then I went and I was able to actually share the things that I had been learning. And I saw people in my family begin to heal or to think about healing for the first time and be able to look at situations differently. And that was so encouraging to me. So reason number one to heal, 
to heal your family and to break that cycle of trauma, break those cycles of, I mean, so many things that our families pass down from generation to generation. The second thing on my list is kind of related to the first, related to healing your family, and that is to have better relationships. When you start to work on yourself, it is so surprising that you are definitely going to notice your relationships are going to start getting better. One, you might start choosing better relationships. Uh, You might start choosing better people to hang out with and people who are more worthy of your time. But you'll notice that when you begin to heal and you begin to do that inner work where you are, you know, moving forward with your life, you're making positive strides, you're healing your heart and your mind and your soul, your spirit, all of that, you're going to notice that your relationships are going to get better. Again, it goes back to when you improve yourself everyone around you improves as well. And so you'll notice that your relationships are going to get better. It's hard to have great relationships with other people when you don't really have a great relationship with yourself. And so when you begin to heal from sexual abuse and you start to work through all the things that happen to you, you'll notice that, that you have better relationships. Number three, kind of goes with the the first two, to heal your family, to have better relationships, and to love more, to love others more and to love yourself more. And in fact, I think that loving others more is actually a direct result of learning to love yourself more. It's something we struggle with as survivors of sexual abuse, self-love. We are not good at loving ourselves. When you're abused, you're kind of given these negative messages that you're not worthy, that you're not worthy of love, that you're not worthy of relationship, that you're not worthy of heal, that you're basically not a worthy human being. It's, it's a lie and it's a very negative message, but unfortunately it's one that can be really deeply ingrained in the lives of people who have experienced sexual abuse and, and abuse and trauma of all kinds can contribute to those feelings of unworthiness. But when you begin to heal, when you begin to really get to know yourself, when you begin to understand that sexual abuse was not your fault, that you are a worthy human being, you'll notice that you love more and not just that you love others more, but that you love yourself more and loving yourself gives you the capacity to love others. Now, something I was taught a lot growing up, especially um, as a pastor's kid and a missionary's kid, it was just like self-sacrifice constantly. And I think self-sacrifice is a good thing. So hear me when I say I'm not saying that you shouldn't sacrifice and that you should just be selfish and life is all about you. That's not what I'm saying. But we were constantly taught like to put everybody else's feelings first and to kind of stamp down or tamp down whatever it was that we actually wanted. Now, I like to put other people's feelings before my own. I I think it's a good practice, and I think that a lot of people would do well to try and do more of that in their lives. But the way that it was taught to me, I think was taught in a way that made me stifle my own needs and my own desires. It was like, ignore whatever you need and ignore whatever you want just to give everybody else what you think that they want. And while yes, self-sacrifice is awesome and it's biblical and it can lead to amazing things in life, you gotta do it right. And if it's just denying that you have any needs or desires or wants or that you're important, then it becomes a toxic trait and not a healthy one. So learning to uncover your worthiness and to love yourself more and to have more compassion for yourself 
is absolutely going to help you be able to love people more. And then you can sacrifice for other people without laying down and being a doormat for everybody to walk all over. So that was number three to love more both others and yourself. Number four, to improve your life overall. That might seem super arbitrary, but I'm not kidding when I say I have noticed just a general improvement in my life overall since I began the healing process from sexual abuse. Like guys, honestly, when I think back to five years ago, maybe five and a half years ago when this whole thing started and I actually began to tackle what had happened to me as a kid, I cannot tell you how much has improved in my life because I would really need to kind of dedicate an entire episode of Survivor Sanctuary to just talk about the improvement in my life. Um, I've mentioned a few of the things, the healing that happens in your family, the, the healing that happens in your relationships and how you're able to love yourself and others more. Those are just a few things, but there is a general improvement to your life overall when you are willing to go in and do the work of working through the things that have happened to you in the past that were harmful and that were painful and that were just difficult for you and that greatly affected you. When you're willing to do that, it's like a gift you give yourself. And I promise that the improvement to your life and the amazing things that start happening and the opportunities that unfold for you because you're willing to do the work, they far outweigh any of the pain of having to move through those experiences. Because I get that it's real, that you know, we want to fight against having to relive anything. We want to fight against having to open up wounds from our past. I understand that. Like I'm totally on board with you that it seems difficult, but I promise that the way that your life will improve when you begin to do it, it is so worth any like temporary pain that you might feel any discomfort that there may be to have to work through some of those tough moments from your life that Honestly, I completely get why you're scared to, to rip off the Band-Aid or to, to pick at the scab. Like, I get it because it's scary. But your life begins to improve in so many crazy ways. And, you know, relationships and self-love and self-care and all that, that's just scratching the surface. There are just so many things. I look at my life now and I'm like, I don't have like this amazing, I'm not saying that I like, you know, life is just perfect and everything's coming up roses and I don't have any problems because that's not true. I, I have normal human being problems and normal life struggles, but there is such a difference in the way that my life is now, the way that I feel about myself and others and in just who I am as a human being. It is so different now since I allowed light into those dark spaces in my past and those dark spaces deep inside me that I didn't want anybody to mess with. When I did it, my life began to improve. Number five goes along with improving your life overall as well. I think that all of these are pretty much tied together because they're all reasons to heal. But number five is to get more of what you deserve in life. And I think another way to view that is to live your worthiness. You know, um, I mentioned it a few minutes ago that sexual abuse whispers these lies in our ears and they get so deeply ingrained in our DNA. And one of those lies is our unworthiness. Like we don't deserve, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that. And you might not walk around saying, oh, I was sexually abused. So I don't deserve love. I was sexually abused. So I don't deserve for people to treat me well. 
I was sexually abused, so I don't deserve X, Y, Z. We're not walking around typically saying those things out loud to ourselves or thinking those things consciously, but they are constantly the, in the voice in our heads, constantly subconsciously undermining all of our efforts in life. When you feel unworthy, and you have a deep-seated belief that you're unworthy because you've never been able to move through the process of healing from sexual abuse and unlearn all of those lies, you settle for things that are less than what you deserve in life because you think that you don't deserve them. And again, you might not be consciously thinking, I don't deserve this, but you're living as though you don't deserve it. I wanna give you an example of getting what you deserve when you begin to heal from sexual abuse. I began to heal probably, um, I mentioned five years ago. That's really the marker for when I really started to dive in and do the work and read the books and go to the therapy and do all the things to try and heal um, and to try and fix the, the mess that I'd made of my life basically from not realizing that I had a big problem after having been sexually abused. And things began changing, as I mentioned, um, with number four, that you just improve your life overall. I make three times, at least three times, maybe a little bit more, the annual salary now than I did before I started working on healing from sexual abuse. That might sound surprising, and I don't want you to think like, oh my gosh, Kelly's this rich person because she's making three times the salary that she made five years ago. But let me tell you, because I didn't understand my worth And because I was so used to just people giving me whatever they wanted and not what I deserved, I accepted so much less than what I was actually worthy of. I just took what I got and I was like, well, you know what? It's, this is what I've been given and I just need to be grateful for it. And again, not consciously saying because I don't deserve anything more, but living as though I didn't deserve anything more. And I remember when this work started and I started to get braver and I started to realize, oh my goodness, like... I'm settling in so many areas of my life and this is ridiculous and just being bold and being able to say like, listen, I need a raise or no longer accepting when people would give me crumbs and scraps for work that I thought was pretty amazing and that I knew that they would have to pay way more to somebody else for. Um, I started realizing those things and it wasn't, again, this super conscious thing where suddenly I woke up one day and was like, I don't get paid enough money. It was just this subtle shift in the way that I lived my life and in the way that I viewed myself and my worthiness. And that shift began to take place, not because I actively tried to make it take place, not because I was actively like, oh, I need to change this, but just because I began to heal from sexual abuse and it began changing that narrative in my mind. It began changing that feeling of unworthiness and that feeling that you just need to take what you can get because you don't deserve anything better. And that began to change by itself. Yes, I was doing the work to heal from sexual abuse, but five years later, I make three times as much money. I'm not rich. That is not a testament to my wealth right now. It is a testament to how badly I was treated in the workforce before I began doing the work of healing from sexual abuse and the work of realizing my worthiness as a human being. So if nothing else from this encourages you, three times the money uh, that I made before I started healing from sexual abuse because 
everything in my life began to shift when I was willing to dive in and do the work. Now, please don't say, okay, I'm going to heal from sexual abuse so I can get rich. Again, Kelly is not rich, but I was settling for way less in life. And knowing your worth is something that is so valuable in every single area of your life. And when you don't dive in and do the work of really trying to, to heal from sexual abuse and unpacking those things that have happened to you, it is too easy to stay in that mentality of unworthiness. The sixth reason to heal from sexual abuse is to have peace. Now, I'm, I've mentioned some great things, life improvements and improvements in love and relationships and your family and money, all that good stuff. But I think that there is nothing that can replace having peace in your life. Now, peace is obviously not the absence of trouble. It's just being able to in, like live your life and be calm and have a sense of peace and comfort despite the trouble that you go through. And I was uh, one of those people, obviously, as a person who grew up in the church that, you know, I heard all the time, Jesus is our Prince of Peace. And when you have Jesus, you know peace. You know, those signs that no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. And I would say, you know, it's so true, but I always had this weird feeling of not having the kind of peace that I wanted in my life. And when I finally allowed Jesus to have access to those areas of my life that were scary to me, that I didn't want to talk about, that I didn't want to think about, and I didn't want to admit that I had been vulnerable in those areas. When I finally allowed him access to those areas and allowed him to begin healing them, then I definitely began to experience more peace in my life. So again, it's not the absence of trouble because I'm telling you, healing from sexual abuse doesn't make all the troubles in your life go away. That would be like a little bit crazy. And I can't make a promise like that because it just isn't true. But my peace, the level of peace that I have in life has definitely increased since I began the work of healing from sexual abuse. Number seven is a little bit more physical or a lot more physical. And that is to live longer. Like I'm not kidding um, with the scientific studies that I love to quote, um, but I never actually have the exact study in front of me. I read so much about sexual abuse. And one of the things that I find so encouraging is that people who are less stressed and people who experience less trauma and people who are doing the work to improve themselves mentally are people who are likely to live longer because toxic stress definitely affects your lifespan. People who experience higher levels of anxiety, I was reading an article this week, um, are more likely to develop heart disease. It's like you don't even have to be an unhealthy person like weight-wise necessarily to develop heart disease. If you're constantly dealing with toxic stress in your life, that can be a predictor of heart disease. And people who experience high levels of anxiety and depression are more likely to suffer from heart disease. So when you begin to heal, when you begin to do the work to address the areas of your life where you've experienced trauma, you actually are giving your body the opportunity to heal itself as well and the opportunity to live longer than you would have had you stayed in that toxic cycle of trauma. Now, I've seen the opposite happen too. I've seen people who are completely unwilling, and I say unwilling because I don't think that anyone is ever completely unable to tackle their past. It's usually an unwillingness, and that's usually based in fear. And again, I'm not like shaming anybody right now. I get that it's super difficult to look to the past to 
work through things that just sucked miserably and you'd rather do anything in your life than think about them. But I've watched so many people that I love just over and over and over in life refuse to address the things that happened to them in their past because they don't want to think about it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to go to a stupid therapist and talk about their feelings because that's, you know, that's not manly or that's not, you know, what strong people do or, you know, fill in the blank. There's always some excuse. And these people instead will drink themselves to death or eat themselves to death or deal with toxic stress and anxiety and depression and toxic anger and fury and rage because they don't have anywhere else to put the trauma they've experienced. And so that's how it manifests. And when I say that it affects your lifespan, that's not something coming from me. It's something that is coming from a lot of science that people have worked on for decades and decades and decades that tells us that when you live with that toxic stress and you don't deal with that trauma and you're under a weight and a heavy burden that we were never intended to be under, when you, when you just keep yourself there, you are not going to live as long. Your body physically is unable to do it. And that's why, you know, we're now seeing that people who have adverse childhood experiences, people who suffer from trauma early in life are so much more likely to develop life-threatening diseases later in life. Our lifespans tend to be shorter. And when we begin to heal, it's not to say that, oh, when you heal from sexual abuse, you're just suddenly going to add 10 years to your lifespan. Not saying that because I don't think there's any study to back that up. But when we start to deal, when we begin to find ways to handle that stress that we're under, ways to handle our anxiety and our depression and some of the bad habits that we've formed to try and cope with our sexual abuse, when we begin to deal with all of those things, we actually begin to heal our bodies and to give our bodies the opportunity to function the way they were created to function and to help us live longer healthier lives. Number eight goes right along with that. And uh, the eighth reason that I have to heal is to reclaim your body and not just your body, but to reclaim your whole self, your body, your mind, and your spirit. So much gets taken away from us when we're sexually abused. And it is easy for us to lose our identity when somebody uses our bodies and, you know, we begin to deal with that trauma as kids, especially the younger that it happens there's such a loss of self. And I felt that profoundly in my life and didn't really realize why it seemed that way. And it's actually something that I continue to struggle with, but nowhere near to the degree that I struggled with it before I began to heal from sexual abuse. I began to reclaim myself, my body, my mind, my spirit. I reclaimed those things when I began to deal with the sexual abuse that happened to me. So yes, my innocence was stolen. Yes, I was used for somebody else's pleasure. Yes, things were taken away from me that made me feel powerless, but I was able to begin to reclaim myself, my body, my mind, my spirit, to reclaim the power that I had in those areas of my life and myself once I began to heal from sexual abuse. The ninth reason on my list to heal from sexual abuse kind of goes along with reclaiming your, your mind, and that is to be more present in your life. Do you ever feel you're not showing up for your own life? Um, I kind of felt that way my entire life, and I used to think, okay, well, it's going to happen eventually. Like, I'm going to show up for my life eventually, and this will get taken care of. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, and then years and years went by, and it wasn't happening, and that was one of the reasons that I began to look into, okay, 
what is wrong with me that I feel like I'm not even present in my own life? It was it was just a very strange feeling, and it was something that I got used to living with. Like, I was not the leading lady in my own life. I was like an extra on the set, you know? And a lot of life felt like it was completely out of my control because I wasn't present. And I want to explain... Um, one of the things, I'm not sure I've ever brought this up on the podcast before, but one of the things that I will say I struggled with um, from the time that I was a little kid and the time that I was sexually abused at the age of six until I began healing from sexual abuse was kind of living in la-la land, if you will. Um, a part of me thinks it was related to ADHD and it's a tendency to daydream a lot. And, you know, there, there's actually like a clinical diagnosis for this sort of daydreaming that can be like not great for people and that can lead to mental health issues. And I'm not sure that I would have been clinically diagnosed with that. So I'm not a psychiatrist and I don't have any degrees, so I'm not going to say that, but I was never present in my life. And I've read a lot about victims of sexual abuse living that way where because the things in our life were so bad, we retreat into this land of fantasy in our own minds where we can create whatever life we want to live. So if you're living in a traumatic you know, life, if you're living through trauma in your family, if things are bad, if you're experiencing abuse and, and danger and you're scared all the time or whatever the case may be, if you're living in a dysfunctional upbringing, one escape for a lot of people is to escape into the mind, to escape into fantasy. And I remember starting this very soon after I was sexually abused and kind of just living in my own head. I felt like it was safer in there than it was out in the real world. And it got to be so bad where I would get irritated. Even as an adult, I would get annoyed when real life interrupted the fantasy life I had going on in my head. Like it sounds weird, but it was literally a thing that happened with me. Like I would just be la 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 in la la land in my head and get so annoyed if a real person wanted to talk to me or if like somebody in my family needed attention from me. And it sounds weird because I love my family. I just lived in my head and I created this world in there where everything worked out great and everything was fine. And I know that that was my response to trauma. And that was my response to dysfunction in my upbringing. And it was an issue that I had. But I got to tell you this, without ever acknowledging that I had been doing that and without ever actively trying to change it, when I began to face what had happened in my past, when I began to just admit and realize that there was trauma that I had gone through and I started to experience the reality of that and it just admit the reality of it, that whole thing with not living in the present, that whole thing with constantly being in fantasy la-la land in my head, it stopped. I didn't try to stop it. Like this was the weirdest thing for me because there are some things that we learn from being victims of sexual abuse that are really hard to unlearn. We've got to work on it for years. We might need a lot of therapy. We not, might need EMDR. We might need you know to do a whole bunch of different stuff to be able to kind of change certain things that we have done or certain patterns we've developed thanks to trauma. Thanks trauma, you're the gift that keeps on giving. But this was one I didn't have to try at all. 
I literally didn't even think about it. I just realized one day, you know, it's really weird that I'm so much more present now. And it was just like this light bulb that went off in my head. I'm like, I don't do that thing anymore where I'm just like retreating into like this fake world that doesn't even exist to hide from people. It just stopped happening. And it stopped happening when I started tackling the trauma that I had experienced as a kid. So that to me is encouraging. I also don't want you to get like a false hope, like, okay, if I dive into my past and I start healing from sexual abuse, then I am just gonna, you know, like all these things will magically just heal themselves and I won't have to do any work. I don't want you to feel that way, but I do want you to be encouraged to know that some of these things are just going to change on their own. Like I said, with the money thing, I didn't actively think, you know what? Gosh, darn it. I have been living, you know, on so much less than I need to survive. I've been willing to live below the poverty level, working for places that there's no excuse that they're paying me below the poverty level. You know, I didn't think that, but it literally started changing when I began healing from sexual abuse. I began to get what I deserved in work and in life so much more easily without even trying just because I was doing that work on myself. So yes, there is work, but there are also some things that are just going to naturally begin to change as you start the work. And I think that's super encouraging because I mean, honestly, healing is not something that's really, really easy all the time. You know, it does suck that we have to delve into the past. It does suck that we had these experiences at all. Like it's not fair that we have to deal with it. But it's awesome to know that some of the things that we have learned can be unlearned really quickly when we're willing to just turn around and say, all right, this thing that I never worked through, I'm going to start working through it. That encourages me anyway. So that thing with being more present and showing up for your life more, that's something that is, I think, one of the greatest reasons to heal from sexual abuse. And I will never forget, I have this picture in my head of driving past the University of Miami in Coral Gables um, because I worked near there and I would drive past it every day. And I just remember driving past it and that's when it like dawned on me. I had been reading um, the books by Dan Allender, Healing the Wounded Heart and The Wounded Heart. He has two really great books. If you haven't read those, I highly recommend them. Dan Allender, The Wounded Heart and Healing the Wounded Heart. Both of those books, highly recommend. In any case, I had started reading those books and and had started seeing a therapist and I suddenly realized, you know what? I haven't even been working on this actively, but I'm suddenly not living in la-la fantasy land in my mind. It annoyed me to not be in present reality. And that is something that I could never say before. I hated reality. I always wanted to be in fake Kelly fantasy land in her head where I just lived a completely different life because I liked it better than the real one that was happening around me. And when I began to heal, I became a present person, an active participant in my own life. And that was pretty cool. Number 10. And guys, again, I could come up with way more reasons than 10, but because, you know, I don't want to keep you on one podcast episode for like 17 hours, I'm just going to hold it at 10. The 10th reason to heal from sexual abuse is to heal other people. Now, I never want people to go into healing from sexual abuse because you want other people to be able to heal. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to want other people to heal. I just think that, again, it comes with the sacrificing so much of yourself for other people and thinking that you're doing it because you're a nice person, but honestly just doing it because you don't realize you're worthy of anything. So again, this is not reason number one to help heal other people because I think that it's super important that we work on ourselves. But again, 
just like improving your relationships and just like improving your family. When you begin to heal from sexual abuse, you are automatically going to be a vessel that is able to be used to heal other people. And the people around you are going to benefit from your healing. And that's a pretty awesome thing because you're getting all these benefits for yourself. But at the same time, when you see somebody who's hurting, when you encounter people who are experiencing things that, you know, before you went through the healing process, you may not even recognize, but because you've done it, now you have the capacity to be able to share your healing with other people. And that's an awesome thing. And that is one step that I think so many survivors um, are eager to get to when they begin their healing process is to be able to help heal other people. Because what is the point, you know, if you can't give it away? And I think that when we begin to see it happen in my life, you know, when I saw all the positive changes, when I saw what a crap fest my life was before tackling sexual abuse, like, and I realized like it's a night and day difference. Like I'm not the same person. And I, that's a really good thing because so much of what I was was just not anything to brag about. You know, the changes that happened in my life, like night and day, it's amazing. And I didn't want to stay quiet about those things. I'm like, oh my gosh, I know the thing now. I know what was holding me back. All of these things I've struggled with, suddenly it's like this huge light bulb moment. It all makes sense now. And all I wanted to do was tell everybody because I'm like, Everybody has to know so they can fix themselves too. And so that is something that I definitely think is on my top 10 list of reasons to heal. And that is to heal other people. So if you needed some encouragement, um, if, if you've been on the fence about, I don't know if I should, you know, try to read more about sexual abuse or if I should delve into those memories or if I should find a trauma therapist or whatever it is you may be thinking about in relation to healing. I hope that something that you heard in this list of 10 reasons to heal um, really helped you to be able to make that decision to understand that it is so worth it. Like it is so worth it. If I had to leave you with any thought, and this actually is the thought that I'm going to leave you with. Yes, it's difficult at times, but there is nothing Nothing looking back in the healing process that I had to tackle, that I had to experience, nothing was as uncomfortable as the life I lived before I understood exactly how trauma had affected me. Nothing in the healing process was as uncomfortable as living as an unhealed person. So I want to leave you with that encouragement. It is so, so worth it to dive into the healing process. And I've given you those 10 reasons. And just let me recap real quick. 10 reasons to heal from sexual abuse, to heal your family, to have better relationships, to improve your life overall, to love more, to get what you deserve more, to live out your worthiness, to have peace to live longer, to reclaim your body, mind, and spirit, to be more present and to show up for your life and to heal other people. And again, I'm sure that you have some reasons to heal from sexual abuse that you could totally add to that list. And I want to encourage you to do that on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook page. Let me know your reasons to heal from sexual abuse. I want to thank you so much for giving me this time. It's such an honor that like the last 45 minutes of your time, um, you have 
let me come into your car or your AirPods, whatever the case may be, and uh, just listen to what I have to say. It is such an honor to me, and I appreciate it each and every episode. And well, I will catch you back here next week on another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. And just by way of reminder, if you want to support the podcast, you can do that at anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary, and I will link to it in the show notes as well. You can be a monthly supporter of the podcast, 99 cents on up from there. If you want to give a little bit to cover the expenses of creating this podcast each and every week and keep this great content coming. I'll catch you next week and on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.